What's going on, guys? Welcome to Looking Ahead to Beto Days. I am Chris, your host, and uh, we have an actually pretty pertinent episode for you today. Um, I say it's pertinent because I'm currently sitting in like the outer bands of what's left of um, Hurricane Dorian. Um, so today's topic is going to be climate change. Uh, climate change is something that is literally the most important thing that we do. Um, my son is not even one. And will he won't even be fifty? Um, he'll be uh, just about just younger than I am in twenty fifty. He won't he won't even be he'll be I think eleven years old in twenty thirty when there's no turning back. So this this fight is very very real to me, and it is it is something that um, while I might not know a lot about it, I, it is important to me, and I want to make sure we get it taken care of. But before we dive into this week's episode, I'm going to bring you some Beto news. I'm actually going to bring it to you a from a different perspective. Um, so Beto, over the uh, this past weekend, made a swing through Virginia, which is lucky for you guys that I live in Virginia, and I was actually able to go out and experience the campaign for a day. Um, at least the, the different rallies, uh, for those of who, us who can't get there. I was, I was one of you that couldn't get to a, a better, better rally to save my life. My wife went in April for me and she talked about how amazing he was. And that was without meeting him. Um, I, uh, I got the, uh, the request to go out to, um, to Charlottesville, um, I think last Thursday and Matt Weinstein, who's come on the show and talked about, um, getting, uh, signatures for the ballots. Um, he asked me if I could go get ballot signatures and I would follow the campaign from Charlottesville to Fairfax. So I went out to Charlottesville and I, I was signing, getting, getting signatures and just, there was just a, such a wide variety in, in the crowd that showed up for him and everybody seemed to be very eager to learn. Um, Beto came in, he, he spoke for about, um, 15 i think think maybe 10 to 15 minutes and then at the end the line to just meet him was just out of the bill like he he was right next to the uh the um the brewery the the door to go in and the line stretched out back past a gate that uh that was there he took the time to meet with everyone and uh when i finally got my chance um, you know, I thanked him for everything he's doing for education as an educator. I said, I'm a teacher. And then he immediately interrupted me and said, oh, what, what do you teach? He immediately took an interest in what was important to me. And he made me feel like anything that I was saying was the most important thing being said at that moment. And that's that's how it should be. Like he's he's taking information in for me. We just met each other. I, you know, he knew that I had just traveled two hours. Uh, it was a two, it's a two I think it's about two hour ride to to Charlottesville, uh, and I said at the end um, you know I'll see you in Fairfax. So I I I went on my way, tried to grab a couple more signatures, um, and then started you know did my thing with uh, with ballot petitions. Well, I left Charlottesville and I go to Fairfax. Um, I drove all the way from Charlottesville, which is another two hour drive. So I drove, it was actually the easiest drive to Fairfax, by the way. Um, uh, Interstate 95 is a monster. It is a demon. And I, I hate having to drive on that stretch of road. Um, but this, this particular drive was easy from Charlottesville to Fairfax. So there you go. If you're going to go to, to, um, to Nova, just go to Charlottesville first. It's, it's easier. There's no traffic. Um, so anyways, I, tra I travel up to Fairfax and, you know, I'm doing ballot petitions. There's just a huge outpouring of support, like, you know, tons and tons of people. There's students from George Mason University, which is up in Fairfax and everybody's waiting to get in. And we finally get into this, this room and Beto had been out canvassing with, um, with a local delegate. And while we're all in there is when the news about Odessa started happening. Odessa had information, or excuse me, there was a there was a shooting in Odessa over the weekend where uh, a man pulled an AR-15 and started shooting people out of his car, just driving around because that's where we're fucking at in 2019. Um, everybody seems to think uh, we're living in Grand Theft Auto, but um, you know this is having real world consequences and. You know, we wait and we wait and wait. And obviously, it's taken a while. And Beto comes in, and 
know, he starts speaking and this is when he starts talking about Odessa and he talks about having a friend who lived in Lubbock but had gone to, um, uh, to Midland and he was trapped in his hotel room. So again, we're getting firsthand information through him. But this is when he, he started speaking. He said, I don't know what kind of gun they're using. I don't know if it's more than one shooter. But what I do know is, is this is fucked up. And everybody in the room starts clapping. And just he pulled everybody in. And we were all there with him. And it was, it, it was, it was this incredible moment that just you had to be there to to be a part of but it actually spread further than that it this this video goes viral you know um you see all these viral videos of him and you know it moves you but it's it, i can tell you it's nothing like being in the room when something like that happens it's just electrifying um he moved everybody that had come out to see him um but the the anyways after after that event i i drive home you know, another two hours I, I was in the car for six hours um, I drove like 418 miles or something like that. And every single second of it was worth it. I loved it. Um, meeting him meant so much. Being able to hear him speak in person was moving. So when he comes to your area, do what you can to get out. It is, it is, it is an experience. It's a, it's almost a spiritual experience. It was, it was just great. It moved me in such great ways. But anyway, um, Beto goes on, CNN the next morning and he's talking with Dan Bash and he says, you know, no, it, it, this is fucked up. He drops an F-bomb on CNN. No edits. It's just boom. It happens. And, you know, all of a sudden you have all of these people. Many of him are uh, many, many supporters like, well, yeah, no, duh, it's fucked up. It's people are dying. And, you know, again, you get a bunch of pundits who are coming out and saying, well, he's using the F word and this, that, and the other. And let me tell you what, if you were that offended by the word fuck, but less offended by children. And I mean, a 17 month old baby was shot in the face. Let's, let's, let's be upfront with that. You know, just that's, that's horrible that these people are more concerned about fuck than they are babies being shot in the face and those people need to check their their priorities because you know at that at that point you're not human anymore where'd your soul go um and i'm not even going to get into megan mccain who has been talking about you know people will uprise if the if they come and take our guns it's just gonna happen that's the way it's gonna happen uh, no it's it's not because majority of the country wants a lot of these things um you just actually have a pulpit to say stupid shit so by all means, continue saying stupid shit, but we're going to continue to, you know, ignore you and chastise you for saying stupid shit. Um, you know, they bring out a shirt. People start losing their minds over that. But again, you're missing the point. The, the this is fucked up shirt is brilliant. It's just this is fucked up like 10 times down the shirt. And then it says gun reform now. Right. If you're more pissed off because my shirt says fuck on it. Than you are about the overall uh, message of 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 the uh, of the shirt, then you're missing the point. And again, you know, reevaluate your priorities. And that's that's a good thing about this particular shirt is it it uh it starts a conversation. You can get them right now on Beto's website if you go to betoorwork.com. Uh, click on the waffle, not the waffle. That's Google. The little drop down menu. Um, when you drop, it drops down, go to the shop, um, any kind of gear you buy goes to the campaign. It's all wonderful. I own several shirts and every, they're actually really comfortable. They're some of my favorite shirts. So, um, whoever picked this company to make these shirts is a genius. They're great. Um, but, uh, moving on, we, we, he also Beto this week was on, um, CNN, uh, climate crisis town hall where he came on he talked about his, uh, the the climate crisis that's affecting the world right now um he actually was able to tie that into just about every single other one of his um his his policies or the things that he are important to him and that's that should tell you something about um climate change is that it literally impacts everything we do it impacts immigration it impacts uh poverty and economics it impacts everything and i'm not going to go too deep into that because that is part of today's discussion but the 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 mind blowing thing about all of this is he has this town hall and he sends out a, a picture the next day where he's riding the bus, not a private bus, not his campaign bus, not a private jet. He's riding a bus, a bolt bus. He's gonna ride the bus from Boston, or excuse me, from New York to Boston. 
And people lost their minds. Like, why is Beto riding the bus? He doesn't need to ride a bus. Why does he take a plane? He could fly faster. It's blah, 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 blah. Are you serious? Like, really? Like, did you, are you not, are you not paying fuck? Like, are, what are you doing? Are you not paying attention? Like, I just, he literally did the town hall last night. He's, the whole point of him riding the bus is to show you how to be carbon smart and reduce your carbon footprint. You ride the bus. There were a bunch of people on that bus. He rode with all of them and then he had a town hall from it. Are you serious? Like, this is what we're mad about now? You gotta, you gotta be kidding me, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know. We get a lot of it and um, it, it's, it's, it's super bothersome and it, it bugs me a lot that that people just are so focused on little things. And it's, it's the, this is fucked up t-shirt all, all over again, except for he's riding a bus. It is what it is. So, you know, let them look stupid on social media in front of the world and everybody. So whatever, we don't have to worry about it, but you know what we do have to worry about? We have to worry about climate change. And that is what our discussion is about today. But before we get into that, I'm going to go through Beto's um, climate change plan. It was the first plan he put out. Um, it is up until what happened in El Paso. It was his his big, um, that was his major focus. Um, and as always, I'm going to give you a Beto quote before I go through the uh, the policy. Literally, literally, not to be melodramatic, but literally, the future of the world depends on us right now. Here, where we are, let's find a way to do this. And the thing that we need to do is we need to fix climate change because, you know, all all these Republicans and all these people uh, here's looking at you, Ted Cruz, and your water world gif. Um, they they they're climate change deniers, and they're literally going to destroy the world. Literally, not not figuratively. The Amazon is now burning. I'm currently sitting and waiting on what's left of Dorian. You know, we're getting major hurricanes every year and it's getting more and more and more and more and more and more and people people are dying and it's only going to get worse. Beto's climate change plan is a four-part framework to mobilize a historic $5 trillion over 10 years, require net zero emissions by 2050, and address the greatest threat we face, which is climate change. Um, he wants he's going to escalating harm economic imperative. Uh, it's going to deal with the cost of climate change. Will measure in the ten, tens of trillions of dollars in lives lost and livelihoods devastated and destroyed. We're the first generation to feel the climate crisis and the last generation with the ability to avert its worst impacts. Um, it's threatening the health of our children and communities. Uh, 60 million Americans live in a place where the water they drink is unsafe. 140 million Americans live where the air they breathe is unsafe. And our aging infrastructure and unchecked climate change will only make these unacceptable facts far worse. Um, they're exacerbating structural inequality. Uh, climate change has a distressingly disproportionate impact on poor and minority communities across the United States and around the world. Race is the number one indicator for where toxic and polluting facilities are today. So basically, if you live in a poor neighborhood, they don't give a shit about dumping their 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 waste near your house, which can get into your water. And that's a that's a problem. That's not okay. Um, it's threatening our national security. Uh, climate change is exacerbating global conflicts, reversing social and economic progress, and driving families to migrate in order to escape disasters. The U.S. military has gone so far as to call climate change a threat multiplier, posing new and severe risk to troops and bases. Yes, the people that are living in the Amazon are going to flee fire when their house is on it. So, you know, where are they going to go? where they can get as far away from that as possible. And, you know, you hear Republicans complain about an immigration crisis, but they're helping exacerbate that at the same time by denying um, climate change. It's not just Republicans. There are pro there are Republicans out there who believe in climate change. So calling them just, just their leadership seems to not think climate change is uh, real. So um, Beto announced his four-part framework to fight climate change with the full force of our democracy all of us together and to face down this major existential threat. So part one is uh, start cutting pollution on day one and taking executive actions to lead on climate. He wants to re-enter the Paris Agreement and lead the negotiations for an even more ambitious global plan for 2030 and beyond. Reduce methane leakage from existing sources in this oil and uh, in natural gas industry for the first time and rapidly phase out hydrofluorocarbons 
Y'all, I'm impressed that I got that in the first try. Uh, the super polluting greenhouse gas that is up to 9,000 times worse for climate change than carbon dioxide. He wants to strengthen the clean air and hazardous waste limits for power plants and fuel economy standards that save consumers money and improve public health while setting a trajectory trajectory to rapidly accelerate the adoption of zero emission vehicles increase consumer savings through new modernized and ambitious appliance and building efficient standards efficiency standards create unprecedented access to the technologies and markets that allow farmers and ranchers to profit from the reductions in greenhouse gas emissions they secure so leverage 500 billion dollars in annual government procurements to decarbonize uh, across all sectors for the first time, including a new buy clean program for steel, glass, and cement, require any federal permitting decision, federal, federal permitting decision to fully account for climate costs and community impacts, set a first ever net zero emissions by 2030 carbon budget for federal lands, stopping new fo- fossil fuel leases, changing royalties to reflect climate costs, and accelerating, accelerating renewables development and forestation and protect our most wild beautiful and biodiverse places for generations to come include more of the arctic and our sensitive landscapes and seascapes than ever before and establish national parks and monuments that more fully tell our american story so this is kind of in the the vein of theodore roosevelt you know preserving our lands that uh the trump administration is currently they're, they're reducing the um restrictions and uh you know, they're trying to mess up our federal land and dig for oil there and let big companies in there because money talks, right? That's what those kind of guys, uh, you know, that's what those kind of guys care about. And are those the type of people you really want your, uh, running your country? Because I sure shit don't. He wants to mobilize $5 trillion for climate change with investment in infrastructure, innovation, and in our people and communities. He's going to do this, um buy and this will spur investment in infrastructure necessary to cut pollution across all sectors meet his net zero ambition without delay and boost economic opportunity and growth with three hundred dollars three hundred billion dollars in direct resolution resources through tax credits and another three hundred billion dollars in direct resources through additional investments that will together mobilize at least four trillion dollars in capital more than $1 trillion through limited duration, performance-focused climate change tax incentives that accelerate the scale-up of nascent technologies, enabling reductions in greenhouse gas emissions across all sectors through efficiency and alternatives, and more than $3 trillion through proven existing financing institutions like the Rural Utility Service and a new dedicated finance authority which will have on its board not only the brightest minds in finance but also members of the unions that would help build the infrastructure. Innovation that will lead to pioneering solutions in energy, water, agriculture, industry, and mobility and to scientific discovery that makes us more safe and secure. $250 billion in direct resources that will catalyze Follow on, follow on private investment creation of new businesses and discoveries, discovery of new science, and then more than $250 billion through research and development across disciplines and domains, including national labs, public, private, and land-granted colleges and universities, incubators, and accelerators, all supporting regional hubs of expertise, spurring economic growth and unlocking technological breakthroughs. America is at its best when we're the leader. That's really where we shine. And all of these initiatives, while there's a lot here, um, they're absolutely going to boost our economy. And when our economy does well, the rest of the world kind of follows. So it makes no sense to me that we're not investing this kind of money. You know, people that work in coal and, you know, at least the administration likes to use them to say that if, you know, if we have, if they have their way, they're going to, you know, um, you know, kill coal and build windmills that cause cancer and shit like that when you know they those guys may there may be less jobs but we're going to create other ones to replace them in uh so there will be other job opportunities 80 percent of this total investment will go to research with the most promise to dramatically and rapidly achieve net zero emissions while growing our economy it'll include funding for a new constellation of darpa style efforts into agriculture industry, mobility, and water, catalyzing uh, partnerships with private and philanthropic philanthropic 
uh, capital and seeding a new diverse generation of STEM leaders. 20% of the total investment will go to the climate science needed to understand the changes to our oceans and our atmosphere, avoid preventable losses and catastrophic outcomes, and protect public safety and national security. $650 billion in direct resources that will mobilize at least $1.2 trillion in capital, more than $1.2 trillion through grants and other similar investments in our people and communities, including housing grants that help to close the gap of affordable housing in America in a way that promotes improvement in both sustainability and quality of life, transportation grants that cut commutes, crashes, and carbon pollution, all while reducing the cost paid by people and communities and boosting access to public transit. Public health grants that both address the immediate crises of communities facing unacceptably poor air or water quality and the long-term crisis of climate change. Small business and startup grants that boost the diversity of the leaders whose businesses form the supply chain for climate change solutions. National service grants to mobilize a new AmeriCorps generation to deploy clean energy, plant trees, or marginal lands and build on marginal lands and build more resilience to fires, floods, droughts, and hurricanes. Paid training grants through partnership with unions, community colleges, and employers that deliver the skills to earn a job in this growing economy. Farming and ranching grants to create a new revenue stream for the climate benefits secured through practices like better soil management and development of digesters. Economic diversification and development grants for communities that have been and are being impacted by changes in energy and the economy. Guarantee our net zero emissions ambition by 2050. Uh, the latest science demands net zero emissions by 2050. In line with the 2020, or excuse me, we can achieve this ambition, which is in line with the 20, my bad, I messed up my reading. I skipped a line. Whoops. Sorry, guys. By investing in infrastructure, innovation, and in our people and communities, we can achieve this ambition, which is in line with the 2050 emissions goal of the Green New Deal in a way that grows our economy and shrinks our, our inequality. The Green New Deal is the, the new deal that was, um, presented by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, that would help us go more towards a green America and provide jobs as such, much like you know the New Deal in the, the uh, 1930s. Um, he's going to do this by partnering, partnering with any city or county, state or tribal nation, business or NGO, any individual pursuing greater ambi- ambition, rigorous, rigorously measuring our progress, scaling what works, and scrapping what does not. Enforcing our our laws to hold polluters accountable, advancing consumer choice and market competition in in electricity and transportation, leveraging natural climate solutions and supporting ecosystems and biodiversity conservation, and requiring public companies to measure and disclose climate risks and the greenhouse gas emissions in their operations and chain supplies, which I'm shocked as, as usual. There's always something in here that I'm like, what the fuck isn't that a thing already? It doesn't even make sense to me. So part four, defend our communities that are preparing for and fighting against extreme weather. Increasing by tenfold the spending on pre-disaster mitigation grants that save $6 for every $1 invested. Changing the law to make sure that we build build back stronger and after every disaster rather than spend recovery dollars in ways that leave communities vulnerable to the next fire, flood, drought, or hurricane. Which, again, like I said, I'm currently sitting in. The Bahamas was just absolutely devastated. While the Bahamas may not be a U.S. territory, but if we do things right, if something happens, we can take care of our neighbors as well. Um, Supporting efforts to incentivize private sector investment in evidence-based risk reduction measures. Recognizing the value of well-managed ecosystems to reduce and defend against climate-related risks. Expanding our federal crop insurance program to cover additional risks and offer more comprehensive solutions to support farmers and ranchers, investing in the climate readiness and resilience of our first responders, and bolstering the security of our military bases both at home and around the world and supporting our soldiers with technologies that reduce the need to rely on high-risk and ener- uh, high-risk energy and water supply. So that's a, that's pretty much the whole that's that's the whole plan. Um, I I almost read you the whole thing. Um, 
because it is very compre- comprehensive and every bullet point is very full of information that I think you guys that you guys need. Um, so, you know, if you get a chance, actually flip through it. The, the, the plan is really comprehensive. So for today's discussion, we're going to be talking about climate change. And to do that, I'd like to bring on John Dorsey. Hello, I am John Dorsey. I'm a senior at the University of Michigan studying economics, and I have taken not one, but two electives in climate change studies and earth environmental science. That means, as far as I'm concerned, I am an expert. I am also a supporter of Beto O'Rourke, and that's why I'm here. All right, now we know you're a a Beto supporter. Um, Why Beto for you? Um, Everybody's got a different story. And he's, he's touched a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Um, so why Beto for you? Yeah, so I first heard about Beto work back in the 2018 Senate campaign, right before the Democratic primary happened. And he was this random backbencher. I had heard his name once, maybe twice in my life, and I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. And then I started watching his live streams and reading articles about him, and I was thinking, wow, this guy really has some magic about him. As time went on and the NFL video happened and he picked up more and more steam, I really saw this man had unique political talent, in some ways better than Barack Obama's political talent, heretical as that might sound. And, you know, when he lost to Ted Cruz, I was thinking, great, he lost by a small enough margin that he can probably beat Donald Trump in Texas. Therefore, he should run for president. So March 14th, the day he announced, was one of the happiest days of my life. You and me both. I I remember that specifically, and I wouldn't personally attach myself to any candidate. Like I still get emails from a couple of them because I was interested just in case. But I told my wife like every day, I said, he's going to run. He's going to run. And that's who I'm going to support. And when he decides I'm going all in and I'm going to I'm I'm going to do a bunch of stuff I've never done before. Yeah. And that's that's like that's the beauty of Beto. So as we're having this conversation, I am sitting in my living room while we record this um in the midst of or rather waiting for hurricane dorian to get get to us it seems like each year we get more and more and more giant ass storms that just bowl through and destroy everything freeport in the bahamas had never been hit by a hurricane and it's gone i mean that that hurricane sat on it for a full i mean just like a what yeah. like two days for a yeah, while i mean it was like moving, moving across the bombs like one mile an hour at, at most at maximum it was one mile per hour and it just it just slow mode them and you, you can't prepare for that and you can't defend against that like uh, mother nature is, is is can be very very cruel and we're fucking with her yeah and she doesn't like it yeah. she doesn't like it one bit um and that's that's apparent so what does the science behind climate change say? Like, I'm, I, I admittedly don't know a lot about climate change. Um, you guys hear me say that a lot. This, th- doing the podcast kind of opens me up to learning a lot of new things and learning, you know, from people, um, that I, I had never met. And that's true here. So tell me, what, what does the science behind climate change say? Okay. At the topmost level, what this amounts to is humanity after the Industrial Revolution, has been pouring incredible amounts of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases into Earth's atmosphere. What these gases do is they sit in the upper atmosphere, like the upper troposphere and stratosphere, and accumulate. And as they do, it blocks infrared light bouncing off the Earth after the sun hits it. That means we're retaining more and more heat, which means, you know, everything from permafrost to the water to our sea ice and land ice is starting to heat up. And as it heats up, that has huge ramifications for our ecosystem, for our economy, basically for all human life, as well as, you know, life for everything, life of everything. And we've known about this for over 100 years, yet we're still pouring more and more of these gases into the atmosphere. It is undeniable at this point that climate change is happening, and there's thousands of knock-on side effects that are going to come out as a result of this. Oh, 100 percent. And and the, the big thing here is is money talks. And you can see that with the Trump administration, because if you've got enough money, you can pretty much buy anything from them. Um, yeah. it, it, it's I mean, p- federal land. That was something. Um, and, and we actually were had meant to record this podcast on Tuesday. And then we both uh, John and I remembered that um, 
you know, we had the, the climate debate. So we got it. We got, or climate town halls. We have to listen to that. We have to, yeah, that we'll bring, come, come back to that. And that's something that not only did better work say, but I also heard and Julian Castro talk about them using federal lands to get oil, which is just maddening because that's, that's our land. Like as, as American citizens, that land was set aside and it was originally started by Theodore Roosevelt at the yeah. turn of the 19th century, you know, <laughs> they're, they're now trying to drill our, our public lands. And, um, I can't remember who it was. It, it, I don't think it was Beto, but he said, you know, you know, and you know what it, it, I believe it was the, the Republicans used to be, um, all about, you know, saving the environment and stuff. And like, what happened to that? Yeah. So, you know, in 1900, Theodore Roosevelt was a progressive Republican, all about national parks, all about all this stuff. And even going up to George H.W. Bush, some elements within the Republican Party were focused on fighting and mitigating climate change. They said, you know, oh, we have to be responsible for what we dump into our air and water. We need to be stewards of the environment. We've known about this for, you know, since I think 1890, when the great Swedish uh, chemist, I almost said alchemist there, Svante Arrhenius, uh, talked about the greenhouse effect. He said, you know, if we keep putting CO2 in the atmosphere, this is going to happen. And since then, up until, you know, the 90s, Republicans knew this. And they've always been pro-industrial elements, but until recently, the Republican Party as a whole hadn't been bought out by the oil and gas industry, by the coal industry, by all these other people who want to buy up our public lands and start drilling for gas. And it's terrifying, because... This is a country that's always been based off the two-party system, and right now one party just stopped caring. One hundred percent, and that their their apathy has really put the other party at at the uh, up against the wall. Uh, really, it's I mean, Democrats are having to fight and claw, and it's not how it should be. That's not how our government was set up in the first place. By the way, yeah. um, George Washington warned against political parties. He wanted different political ideas because a lot of ideas equal good things. Yeah. But when a party stops caring, um, that just it it fucks us all, right? Yeah. Like, what are they getting out of this at the end of the day? Like, you know, you can get all of the money in the world from basically fucking up our, our 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 environment but you know, once the world is on yeah. right once the world is on fire you can't spend that money like you can you can convince yourself that climate change isn't real but you know evidence says otherwise and you're not going to be able that to spend that money and your grandkids aren't going to be able to spend that money and for damn sure your great grandkids aren't going to be able to spend that money because there's not going to be an earth left so what what kind of arguments are there against climate change like what kind of things are are they saying like what do they use do, to justify this so they can sleep exactly, at night exactly yeah. Well, for the most part, most climate deniers with scientific backgrounds know it's happening, but they just don't care. But what they'll do is they'll give you a kettle argument. Like, they'll throw a bunch of mutually exclusive arguments at you. They'll say, oh, climate change isn't happening. That's ridiculous. It's still cold outside in the winter. And They describe weather. Yeah, they describe weather. It's like, you know, world hunger doesn't exist because I just had a huge lunch. Uh, the paraphrase Stephen Colbert. Uh, if... You confront them on that, and if they concede that ground, they'll say, like, okay, well, maybe climate change is happening, but it's cyclical. You know, the Earth does this all the time. We'll bounce back. After all, we had an ice age a while ago. The response to that is, well, yes, we've had ice ages, but it takes thousands of years for them to ramp up and ramp down. This uh, new Anthropocene climate change has been happening over the past hundred years way too fast to be natural. They'll say, like, okay... Well, maybe it's not cyclical, but in any case, us little humans can't change the climate anyways. The answer to that is, well, no, because we've increased the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere twofold, soon to be threefold. They'll say, like, okay, maybe it's human caused, maybe it's completely our fault, but there's nothing we can do about it now. That's also wrong, because we have, you know, the ability to put carbon back into the ground and save humanity, not to be hyperbolic. They'll say, like, oh, well, that would be expensive. Let's not crash the economy if we're all going to die anyways. And the response to that is, no, our economy can survive this event as long as we work towards it starting now. Yeah. <laughs> They've got an excuse for everything. And, you know, it's it's funny. I, I'm reminded of a, a TED 
cruise tweet from today because that's who we want to be taking our climate change um, information for or from where um, Beto was talking about climate change. It was from the town hall and he's talking about how, you know, El Paso is going to be extremely damaged by climate change. They're, I mean, they're on the Rio, (laughs) the Rio Grande. Like when that water starts to rise, it's going to come into El Paso. Yeah. But Ted, that too, or because I mean, it heats up. Ted Cruz thinks it's a good idea to make fun of that and be like, this is going to be better work next year. And he shares a pic, uh, a gif of Waterworld. Like, yeah. what is yeah. wrong with you? Like, seriously, these people live in your state. Like, El Paso is in your state. You can talk. Yeah. And he's mocking them. Sh- and he's he's mocking his own people and his own voters and it's going to be really funny yeah when beto o'rourke is the president the one thing (laughs) that ted cruz um would really want to be right yeah you know getting owned by the person he owned two years prior the thing is with ted cruz is you know he's a really smart guy like one of those dangerously smart people you know he's a graduate of harvard and princeton he's an incredible debater he's probably one of the smartest people from the 2016 Republican primary, but he is an insane climate denier. He makes up all kinds of ridiculous stuff, and he has these idiotic, aggressively stupid tweets like, oh, El Paso's landlocked. You're not going to be affected by climate change. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, yep. El Paso's going to be hit by droughts. It's going to be hit by heat waves. You know, the air quality is dropping like a rock. That's not necessarily because of climate change, but, you know, still because of the Trump administration's environmental policies. And or lack thereof. The point, yeah, yeah. It comes to the point where eight-year-old Henry O'Rourke, I'm not sure if he's eight, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, Henry's eight. Yeah, Henry O'Rourke understands climate change better than Ted Cruz does. Henry has not graduated middle school. Ted Cruz has two degrees from Ivy League universities. It leads us to the conclusion either he is not as smart as we think he is, or he is malicious in his attempts to stop us. He's he's willfully ignorant. He's I mean he's one of those people that are kind of like owned by big oil and such. I yeah. mean he's he's from Texas, so I mean like there's big oil there, so that that makes sense. Also, I want to point out that those were the nicest things that anybody has ever said about Ted Cruz on this podcast. So my oh, head is yeah. off to you. Incredibly that, smart man. <laughs> that that uh, that takes a lot. That yeah. takes a lot, sir. And I I appreciate your candor and your ability to. To at least say a nice thing about the world's biggest dumbass outside yeah. of fucking Mitch McConnell. And Donald um, Trump. Let's not forget. So, yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. He's also maliciously stupid. Yeah, but I mean, if Ted Cruz is as smart as we say he is, then, you know, Ted, he's willfully stupid. Donald yeah. Trump is, you know, he's, he's a pasty eater. He's, he's a pasty eater. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you should know because you, you teach elementary school. Right. I teach middle schoolers. Oh, well. They they yeah. they stopped that by then, yeah. um, but um, he uh, he uh, man the thing with the sharpie Jesus Lord uh, back to climate change and you know the Trump administration doing as much damage as possible you know this this storm that's hitting us that's caused by climate change um, to be he's more focused on the fact that people are 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 mocking him for saying Alabama. He's yeah. going to get hit by this storm, which just blows my mind. And the fact that he said he didn't even know a cap- Category 5 uh, hurricane existed. Stuff yeah. like that. Like, that's Wonderful what he's focused on. by the way. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah. it's awful. I practice in, in a lot in more so than I should. Um, but seriously, it's it's just it's mind-blowing. Like It is. Yeah. We're getting hammered. Right, Like, I am sitting like we, we could lose power any minute. Yeah. You know, because they'll cut it early because I live in an area that's on the water. I lived through two hurricanes, yeah. um, two major ones. I was in Isabel. I was I lived in Pocosin, Virginia is where I grew up. Um, and it's it, it, it's very low. And I remember going out into the street and having water up to my waist to get a tree that had floated down the street. Yeah. These things aren't joking matters. I was in Sandy in New Jersey. I was like the only one prepared. Like I went the day a couple days before the uh, before the hurricane was going to hit and I was the only one there buying supplies. I because I had survived one before. Yeah. And, you know, people died in Sandy. Yeah. Right. Hurricanes are dangerous. Twenty three people died in the Bahamas. Uh, That's the count as of right now. It will go up. Yeah. 
And it'll probably go up as it slams the Carolinas in Virginia, and who knows? Exactly, and we're 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 the reason why. Like we started this shit, man. Like we've got to stop it. And we've got to do something. And science says that we have ten years. Like the window closes in twenty thirty. That's it. And yeah. that's why Beto's plan is is so comprehensive. It's a really good plan. It's actually the first policy plan that he put out. I I believe. And it was his his big focus, like he's like the climate change, our world is burning. And, you know, then El El Paso happens and naturally he went elsewhere. But like what as as somebody who who knows climate science, what are your thoughts on Beto's plan? Like as a whole, like break it down for me. Yeah. So Beto O'Rourke's climate change plan is First off, I just want to say at the outset, it is incredibly ambitious, as are most other democratic policy platforms regarding climate change. It is centered around a couple key tenets. The first of which I'll mention is environmental justice. It's for people who are affected by these hurricanes, which, while not like explicitly caused by climate change, are certainly intensified and, you know, we're subject to increasing frequencies of these hurricanes because of climate change. It means all these people have to move out of their flooded out homes or rebuild them or just, you know, yeah, just move to higher ground if they have to. And his plan would allocate a large sum of money, I'll get to the numbers in a minute once I find them, to help them rebuild, to help them readjust to new life elsewhere, or, you know, help people who live in the shadow of dirty fossil fuel plants get the help they need. It's an incredible plan just from that alone. It also talks about investing $5 trillion into our nation's economy, into research and development, into public transportation, into all sorts of things to mobilize people and get the market to do what it does best, come up with solutions to things. With the government doing that, we'll have the ability to pull carbon out of the air and lock it underground. We'll have the ability to reduce the amount of driving that people have to do every single day. It'll it is the best shot that we have to realistically achieve the goals set out by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which has talked about the 10 to 20 year limit before we can you know, start feeling catastrophic effects. It won't get us there unless we have the rest of the world doing it, but it's a start, and it's a very good start in my opinion. Well, I mean, the the rest of the world is already taking steps towards that. You know, they're all in the Paris, um, what is the Paris Agreement or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, there's one nation who's not. Yeah, two yeah. if we count Syria. Oh well, yeah. I'm We're sorry. a good company. I forgot about Syria. Yeah. How could I forget about Syria? But um, you know, you know, it's 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 very comprehensive. And I, I I you mentioned transportation, and actually one of the big controversies. I say controversies in air quotes, and <laughs> you can't bubbles. see them. Yeah. <laughs> but like he wrote a bu- uh, Beto wrote a bus from New York City to Boston, right? Yeah, and people bus. lost their minds. Like he's just showing you like how you can do things. He waited and got on a bus. You don't need a a private jet to fly to your engagements. Yeah. You can travel like a normal human and still get where you're going and actually make a difference doing it. He had a town hall on the bus. Yeah, exactly. But naturally, you know, he's trying to make a statement on, um, you know, energy climate change and being frugal. Exactly. People, yeah. And the media just breaks him over the coals for it because he rode a bus. Yeah, they kind of just like to dunk on him a little bit. I know that most of the people who are, you know, tweeting about him we're, we're just doing it to be fun but it is a little annoying when you consider the real world implications that this has the fact that Ex- some of the candidates are flying around these private jets spending hundreds of thousands of dollars Beto flies commercial he takes a dodge grand caravan wherever possible and when he's in you know horrifically congested areas he'll take a bus or a train instead he does it all the time or he'll walk he walks a lot i mean yeah. he'll he'll ride a bike like he's it's he's, he's a super genuine guy i actually i was privileged enough to meet him on saturday yeah. and like he's a super genuine guy yeah. um i i mentioned this in in the introduction but i was actually in fairfax when he gave the uh, um the but we know this is as fucked up uh quote we yeah. was talking about what was going on in odessa like that that all went down it it was very very electrifying the man means what he says and when he's passionate about something he he goes in on it yeah. hard 
um, and he does not give a fuck what anybody says about it. Like, you know, you know, if, if you're more upset at the fact that he used the word fuck as opposed the, to the fact that he, you know, his, his people are dying via um, guns, your priorities are really – he's right. Your, your priorities are fucked up. Yeah. You know, and the same thing is can be said with about climate change. You know, people are going to die. They might not be dying now. They are but, dying now. Well, yeah, you know, hurricanes, you're right. I yeah. mean, they may not be dying in massive, massive numbers like we're going to see if we don't fix this shit. Yeah. yeah sorry, I let, let me fix that. Like people are dying, but, but they're, they're not die dying. They're more. they're going to die a lot more and a lot faster and it's it's not going to get any better. Yeah. So my question to you is you know what what is it going to take to get this done his plan's really ambitious um and the one thing that beto really has going for him is that he actually uses the will of the people hence like some of the stuff he's come up with you know um we've he he mentioned uh, no car not wanting a carbon tax um you know i was it trade caps trading caps or whatever cap and trade yeah cap and trade he 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 wanted to not have you know he he's you you explain that to me because I actually don't didn't know what he what he meant by that, so yeah. I want you to tell me about cap and trade and and the the no carbon tax because that's a that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. So we're filming this on Thursday, the fifth of October. Yesterday was Better Works Climate Change Town Hall on CNN, and he was asked a question by someone who wanted to say like, you know, what are you going to do about the price of carbon? Are you going to put a price on it using governmental power? And when it comes down to that, there's two options. There's a carbon tax and there's cap and trade. Most economists will say that either of the two will work. They're market-based approaches to controlling pollution by incentivizing polluters, basically, you know, energy companies and factories and whatever, to stop polluting or to pollute less by punishing them financially if they don't. What cap and trade is, is the government will give you credits to say, like, oh, you can put this many tons of carbon dioxide into an atmosphere, into the atmosphere per year. If you want more, you can buy them from other companies, but there is a set amount. And that's the cap and the trade. The cap is there's a set amount of pollution credits. The trade is you can trade them among companies so that you can adjust over time. Beto's plan would slowly lower that cap on every company, forcing energy utilities to decarbonize year after year, which is really hard to do, but really worthwhile because as hard as it is for someone to tear down a plant and build a new one, it is a lot cheaper to do that than to adjust to a catastrophe. And the good news is alternative energy sources are no more expensive than existing fossil fuel ones. And I can talk about, you know, relative amounts of emissions later. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean. Actually, hell, I could do it now. Sure. Why not? Well, yeah. Fuck it. Let's go. I mean, uh, wind turbines cause cancer. So, I mean, let's, yeah. let's find other alternate types of uh, types yeah. of energy. So I had a great environmental class taught by, you know, shout out here, uh, Professor Adam Simon of the University of Michigan. And one of his projects was to have us create a new power grid for the University of Michigan. Say so like, oh, the University of Michigan uses 500 gigawatt, gigawatt hours per year of electricity. Most of that comes from coal and natural gas. What are you going to do to fix that? And he said, you know, use solar power, use wind power, use whatever else you want to use. Just get us to 500 gigawatt hours a year using cleaner energy. And we came up with this math. Uh, if you run a coal power plant, you will get 870 tons of carbon dioxide per gigawatt hour per year. And that's a pretty big number, but to put it into context, natural gas does about half that. Oil does slightly more than half that. Hydro... Nuclear, solar, and wind all emit less than 100 gigawatt hour, uh, 100 tons of CO2 per gigawatt hour per year. Basically, it is eight times cleaner than coal power, if not much, much more. And as time goes on, wind turbines, solar panels, cheap green energy is getting a lot cheaper. If you force the market to adapt by decarbonizing, they can incur these expenses by building new plants without going completely bankrupt at the last minute. It's a good plan, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, and it seems it seems fair as well, and that's that's one of the the big things. Beto's plan actually lowers things gradually. You know, yeah. it's not an immediate takeover, and you know, a lot of companies were already doing that before yeah. Trump pulled the regulations, and I mean, some of them kept doing it, but yeah, props I mean, to them. exactly, props to them. If you kept doing it because you realized that he was a just a, a giant fucknut, um, we appreciate <laughs> it. The the population of the world appreciates it. Um, but here's, here's another question for you. I'll see if, see what, what you know uh, about this. Um, my, uh, my father's actually a, he, he works as a nuclear engineer. He works in a nuclear power plant. And I've heard a lot Wonderful. of different people say, you know, the, the movement to nuclear power, it could, can, you know, help that as well. But I'm not a hundred percent sure. Cause once you have all that nuclear waste, where's it going to go? Yeah. So right now, the best solution is to lock it underneath a mountain, which is about as good as it's going to get. You can't force nuclear waste to become clean in any real way. The best thing mm-hmm. you can do is just find a deserted place in the middle of nowhere, dig it so far deep underground that it has no way of even hitting the groundwater or anything else. Uh, if you ever heard of the Yucca Mountain controversy, it's yep, basically... That's what I was about to bring yeah, up. Yeah, it's basically this not-in-my-backyard thing, because people were worried about you know the consequences of building a nuclear waste dump. I'm not really a huge expert on that, but as far as I know, that's as good as it's going to get, as long as you just do it far enough underground and far enough away from where people are. And, you know, nuclear is a great solution, in my opinion. Beto's not a huge fan of nuclear power, but he has not ruled it out. Other candidates, like Senator Bernie Sanders, have ruled it out, but he is open to it. And that is the best way, in my personal opinion, that we can get cheap power at, you know, huge amounts of cheap power to large groups of people. Solar and wind take up huge amounts of land, whereas a nuclear power plant takes up about as much land as a coal power plant does, but with almost no emissions. Yeah, Actually, and, 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 and not all power plants run like Springfield, so yeah. you, know, you don't have three-eyed <laughs> or fish. Like, yeah. well, or Chernobyl, like uh, up in... Um, uh, up in towards Richmond, there's Lake Anna, and the power plant actually uses that lake, and like it's a it's a tourist spot. Like people go and they'll get in that lake, and they don't come out with you know three legs. Yeah. So, I mean, like it, it's, it, it's, it's it, yeah. it does work. It's not as um it's not great. It's not perfect, but it's a it's a step in the right direction. Um, and you know the fact that Beto being open to it is just a, a very true testament to who he is, and a lot of that comes from. Speaking to people, he goes to and talks to people, and that's where he he um he he gets the support and his ideas for his policies. But you know, they can, you can get all the people support in, in the world that you want, but even as president, he can do executive orders, but that's only going to go so far. Right. Um. He has to get a law passed, like he has to get it through Congress, and God willing. Mitch McConnell will be out on his ass in 2020 <laughs> and the Democrats will control all of that. But let, I mean, if that's not the case, what is it going to take to get this done? Like, what are we going to, how, how does he get it passed? Well, it, it really does come down to having Mitch McConnell being either Senate minority leader or private citizen, Mitch McConnell. If the yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for private citizen. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, you know, jinx anything because it is going to be an uphill race for Amy McGrath or whomever. But let's assume that we can get Mitch McConnell to the minority or out of office, because at that point it doesn't really matter what office he holds. We're not going to get the 60 votes, no matter what, to break a filibuster. And the solution there is to kill the filibuster. You know, Republicans have been playing with the idea of killing the filibuster for years, as have Democrats. That's how we have Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court, uh, because Harry Reid and Mitch McConnell just decided the filibuster's useless now and just gets in the way if we do that we can get our majority of democratic senators to vote for things saying like oh you know we'll give you subsidies if you put solar panels on your roof and we'll help companies you know switch to greener power if we don't do that there's going to be no incentive it's going to be little better than obama in 2015 and 2016 when he really really tried to get things done but just couldn't he didn't have the will from Congress, and this plan calls for trillions of dollars of federal money, and if Congress doesn't appropriate it, we either take it from other departments, which would harm us in other ways, or we just don't do it at all. And that well, gets us closer to apocalypse. 
It's at the end of the day, yes, yes, it does. And I mean, I feel like if Donald Trump can take funds from schools and daycares on military bases to build his vanity wall, we can we can save the environment with from money elsewhere. Like, yeah, it's dangerous, but you know, yeah, at least it's going to do something that's actually worthwhile and is going to is going to save that save us. And um, I'm gonna I'm, I'm this is kind of so slightly off topic. Yeah. Um, but I want to I want to plug a movie because it's ridiculous oh, and God. it's actually about climate change. For those of you who have never seen the movie Birdemic, it's ridiculous, and it's supposed to be a commentary on um uh on climate change um if you want a real movie on climate change watch watch the awkward truth this is this is it, excuse me an in, inconvenient tr- an inconvenient truth awkward an awkward truth or awkward something is something else gore did i believe i might be wrong um you can correct me if i am but yeah an inconvenient truth birdemic is not that uh but when you said solar panels i immediately thought full panel which is how the actor who who plays rod in the movie says it says soul pump just like that yeah. that's what i hear every time and uh, i didn't want to be the only one with it I, I do. Yeah. my wife has seen that movie minimum five times i've seen it god only knows how many times i've seen it in uh in theaters I w- i've seen the riff tracks version of it i own the regular version of it there's a sequel and you know the, he, he dude really wants climate change i'm cool with that you know he made a really shitty movie that makes me happy but it also had a point and you know people actually learn about climate change because they're like what the hell is this even about like what's the point right exactly it's a little bit less you know it's a little bit more preachy at parts but still it it, you you get the point at the end of the day yeah i mean yeah if we're on the topic of movies you know this one's less about climate change in particular but it is about the environmental movement uh trekkies will know what i mean i say as i lose all of my remaining friends star trek (laughs) for the voyage home was a 1986 movie with the original star trek cast and they were talking about environmentalism they were saying you know 300 years from now the humpback whale has gone extinct because it went extinct from over hunting and for some weird ass reason they have to go back in time to grab some and repopulate the species because earth literally depends on it the plot is incredibly incredibly stupid but it is, without a doubt, one of the best movies I've ever seen, and it helped the environmentalist cause and helped with whales um, in some way. I'm guessing more people donated and cared about the whales. It had well, a net good. Yeah, no, that that happens. Like that's a even if you have a really bad movie, like it has an intrinsic effect if you get people to watch it. And something like uh, Star Trek Four was it Journey Home? Voyage I've seen home the first two, Voyage yeah. Home. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the the Voyage Home. They the names got ridiculous. Then they got good in the '90s when they did the Next Generation movies. Then Hell they yeah. weren't as good, and then they rebooted it. And I really, I, I'm. Okay. will probably hate me after the this but i love those oh, yeah. um reboots they're it's, good it's good dumb fun yeah exactly but we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and uh we're gonna wrap up on that we're gonna we're gonna end our climate discussion with um star trek for the voyage home um <laughs> but it, it honestly it helps make the point like if it if we can do anything to get people to notice like if one person goes and does research on climate change because they listen to me and john talk about it for 30 40 minutes um that we'll have done a good job we'll have done what we're supposed to do and i'll be happy with it i'm sure john will be happy with it but uh first first and foremost john thank you so much for coming on absolutely um i I really really i definitely you definitely have a a a a pulpit here if you want have something you want to come on it's something that's important to you by all means come on and uh you can be on the show anytime but uh to all you guys out there, um, we're getting to crunch time. Um, petitions, ballot petitions. You you can't vote for Beto if he is not on the ballot. Um, talk to somebody in your state. Talk to the, the leader of the ballot petitions. If you are in Virginia, talk to me or talk to um, – we had Matt Weinstein on here at one point in time. You can talk to either of us. Um, I'm the point of contact for Districts 2 and 3 in Virginia. I could absolutely – Use your help down here getting these signatures. So um, while you're at it, get out and volunteer. You know, it's it's always good to get involved. Donate where you can. Um, we're 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 really picking up steam. Beto's really rolling, and he really needs us right now. But uh, that's uh 
that's 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 where where we're at guys so uh yeah actually on that note in 2019 virginia and i'm sure most of your listeners already know this virginia will be having a set of general assembly elections on november 5th 2019 that has been working his ass off campaigning you know lots of mailanders have been crossing the potomac to help campaign for great state senate and uh house of delegates candidates yes 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 yes. virginia because, you know, presidents come and go. Soon there'll be a Republican administration in, I don't know, 2028, 2032. But if we get state legislatures, we can get good state laws, get good emission standards, and do what we can to help. It is crucial that we do this. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you for bringing that up. As an, a Virginian, we have got to get the Republicans out. Um, if you were uh, in District I believe it's two. Um, I man, I'll 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 get the 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 lady's name who's running. Um, but the Democrat running in District Two is substantial, and the Republican is a, is a crazy person. Just so you know. So thank you so much for bringing that up, John. Yeah. That's perfect. We definitely need to hear that. But uh, but for now, um, I'm your uh, I'm your host, Chris. Let's keep on looking ahead to better days. <laughs>